We light the first candle for hope, the second for faith, and now we light the third candle for joy. The shepherd's candle reminds us of the joy the shepherds experienced at hearing the announcement of Christ's birth. We, too, encounter joy in relationship with Jesus. The Gospel of Luke tells us of the shepherds. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. Luke 2, 15-20. Let us pray. Lord, help us to grasp the price that was paid by Jesus so that we might be forgiven. Help us to live in gratitude for your great gift to us and to share the joy that results from your gospel with those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. Thank you for being here with us on this third Sunday of Advent. And this month we're looking at the theme of worship in the Gospel of Matthew, specifically worship of Jesus. We're looking at passages where Jesus was worshipped or taught us something about worship. The Gospel of Matthew is uh, a unique book in that it provides a beautiful transition from Old to New Testament and links the two Testaments together as a unified whole. Matthew has more quotations from the Old Testament than the other three Gospels, and there are 16 times in the Gospel of Matthew where Matthew presents something this way. This was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, and then we're given an Old Testament prophecy and shown how Jesus fulfills that prophecy. We'll see that to be the case today as we look at a passage found in Matthew chapter 21. I'll read it for us and you'll see the verses overhead on the screen. Now when they near, drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? 
And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? Here, as elsewhere in the Gospel of Matthew, we see again that praise, worship, ascends to Jesus when people recognize who he is. We've seen this to be the case elsewhere. In, uh, early in the Gospel of Matthew, when the Magi, the wise men, come to find this child that's been born, we're told in the Scripture that they kneel down and they worship him, obviously recognizing something of who he is. Later in Matthew chapter 14, we saw how Jesus walked on the water, came to the boat with his disciples, and when he got into the boat, they said, truly, you are the Son of God, and they worshipped him. Then at the very end of the gospel, after Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead, Mary Magdalene and the others with her find him outside the empty tomb, and they fall at his feet, and they worship him. This recognition of who he is prompts worship and praise of Him. This passage presents several things about Jesus that we should recognize and that will guide us in our own worship of Him. The first is that Jesus is the Lord. When Christ sends His disciples to get the the donkey that He's going to ride into Jerusalem, He said, if anybody says anything to you, say, the Lord needs them, and He will send them at once. The fact that Jesus would refer to himself as the Lord is significant. Early Christians, as they came to recognize that Jesus was more than a mere prophet, more than a a great teacher, more than just a special messenger sent by God, that he was indeed the Son of God, God the Son began to proclaim him the Lord, so that Probably the earliest Christian confession or Christian creed is very simply three words. Jesus is Lord. Later the Apostle Paul would write to the church at Rome these words. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. We begin to see this in this particular passage that Jesus is more than a mere prophet or man, teacher, Jesus is the Lord. Secondly, we see that Jesus is being revealed here as the King, the King of the Jews, the King of Israel. After He sends His disciples to get the the donkey, Matthew writes, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, and then he quotes a prophecy from the Old Testament. Where does the prophecy come from? It comes from the book of Zechariah. Zechariah was a prophet who prophesied around 520 B.C. Jesus was over 30 years old at this time, so 
This prophecy occurred over 550 years before the event. You'll see it on the screen. Zechariah 9 and verse 9 reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So why did Jesus call for the donkey and ride it into Jerusalem? Well, to fulfill the prophecy. Zechariah is particularly known for many messianic prophecies. That is, many of his prophecies had to do with the Messiah, the Savior, the one who was to come. And Jesus is identifying himself as that one. Why ride a donkey, though? As Zechariah prophesied, the king would come in a humble way. Most of the Jews expected the Messiah to be a great military ruler who would come and overthrow the Roman rule and set up his kingdom of which they would be a part on the earth. Jesus wasn't coming that way. He was coming righteous and having salvation, yes. But he was not coming as a great military ruler to overthrow the Romans. He was coming humbly and mounted on a donkey. The humble king is the fulfiller of prophecy. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. Thirdly, we see in this passage, Jesus is savior. They brought the donkey and the colt we read put on them their cloaks, and the crowds that went before him and the ones following him were shouting something. The words they shouted are important. They shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Same passage in the Gospel of John tells us these branches that they put out on the road were palm trees, and that's why the Sunday before Easter we we refer to as Palm Sunday. That's the day we remember Jesus' entry to Jerusalem when the crowd shouted Hosanna prior to his crucifixion and then his resurrection that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. The word Hosanna means save us or save us now. It's a Hebrew word and it's found in the Old Testament Psalm 118 in verse 25, which simply reads, Save us, we pray, O Lord. Psalm 118 became a song of pilgrimage. That is, the, the Jews would sing it as they were traveling, making pilgrimage up to Jerusalem at the time of the feast of the Passover. They would sing this song, Hosanna, save us, O Lord, we pray. But now the children, others in the crowd, are shouting it to Jesus. Hosanna, save us, as he's going up to Jerusalem prior to the time when he would become the Passover lamb, Christ our Passover, sacrificed for us. There began to be this recognition that this one, more than a mere man, more than a mere prophet, was Lord, was King, and he would also be Savior. What I suspect very few realized, however, was that his salvation would not come in a military fashion. Few would expect him to do what he did. The prophet Isaiah, over 700 years before the coming of Christ, prophesied of how he would secure salvation for his people. 
In Isaiah chapter 53, in verse 4, we find these words, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. On Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by His stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is how this humble king, the Lord, would secure our salvation. In his crucifixion, in his suffering, the judgment of God the Father, the righteous, just, wrath and judgment toward our sin would be poured out on him as if he were guilty of all. He would become the Lamb of God. He would become Christ our Passover sacrifice for us. And He would secure our eternal salvation, our forgiveness of sins in that way. The humble King. The Savior. Furthermore, Jesus is not only King and Lord, He's worthy of worship. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Now why were these religious leaders indignant? They were indignant because Jesus accepted worship. And they recognized, as did all good Jews, that only God is ever, ever to be worshipped. Yet Christ is accepting this worship. And so they're indignant, they're angry, and Jesus responds to their indignation, and as he often does, he uses scripture. By the way, it's worth noting, the way Jesus uses scripture throughout the Gospels. He treats the Old Testament scripture, written hundreds of years before he came, as if it is perfectly divinely inspired and without error and has been preserved perfectly. He treats the Scripture of the Old Testament as authoritative, as God's authoritative word. So when these religious leaders get indignant toward Him because He's accepting worship, what does He do? He gives us an inspired application of Old Testament Scripture. When they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said, yes. Have you never read, quote, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. Why does Jesus quote that Old Testament verse? Where does it come from? It comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 8 and verse 2. You'll see it overhead. The psalm begins, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Now, it sounds like Jesus didn't quote it accurately because Jesus said, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have prepared praise. And it refers to their worship, their praise. But we go back to the psalm itself, and it reads, you have established strength to still the enemy and the avenger. 
What Jesus is doing here is giving us an inspired application of this Old Testament verse and teaching us that praise, praise of the Lord, is strength, spiritual strength. And it brings spiritual strength that stills the enemy and the avenger. Praise provides strength to still the enemy. Now, what is meant by that? Well, in his immediate setting, it meant the praises of these children shouting out Hosanna were stilling the indignation of these religious leaders, but more broadly, I think he's teaching us that praise of God has spiritual strength to still the enemy of our souls, the devil, with his temptations, with his accusations. I don't know of anything better when we're at a place in life where we, we are uh, feeling despair, or feeling hopelessness, feeling depression, discouragement, than to deliberately choose to worship and praise God. Not only does it get our attention and our focus off of our immediate circumstances and onto Him, but I think the Bible's clear in that our praise of God strengthens us spiritually in the midst of the difficulties that we face in life. I want to ask some guests to come up right now. Lee and Megan Hemphill. Lee and Megan are well known to many in our church. They serve regularly in Kids Rock. In fact, they've been serving in Kids Rock today. They got their Kids Rock t-shirts on. Lee is a new deacon here. Megan is well known as one of the leaders in recent years of our mom's ministry. And those of us who know them and have observed their family um, admire how closely they walk with the Lord and lead their family in walking with Jesus, particularly in the midst of something very, very difficult that they went through in recent years with their daughter. And um, I want to take a moment and ask them to share about that, but just a, a personal word of testimony. I was walking across the back of the coffee bar one Thursday morning when Megan was speaking, and she was talking about praise. And I heard less than a minute of what she said. But she was talking about how she puts on praise music and worships the Lord in her home. And of course, I knew they were going through something difficult uh, in, in their home. And when I got to my car, I felt like the Lord had spoken to me about my own need for more praise and worship. And so uh, I've thought of that often and then thought I'd like to invite them to come today, share a little bit about what they've experienced and how praise and worship has helped them during that time. Lee and Megan. Well, Megan and I are happy to come share this morning with you uh, about some of our experiences over the last four or five years. Um, just a little bit of background um, about us and what uh, we've been through. Um, for those of you who don't know us personally, uh, first we were, we were blessed with um, some loyal friends and a wonderful supportive church home, and we're very grateful. Um, but we've had some opportunities uh, recently to uh, draw closer to the Lord, um, maybe than other times in our spiritual life. Um, starting about five or six years ago when um, I made a career change uh, from banking into law enforcement, pretty drastic uh, change. And uh, it's actually, you know, it's, 
required some time away from the family and some uncertainty. Um, and then several years later, we uh, made a move from uh, Raleigh to the Triad, which is our home. Uh, we were in Raleigh about 10 years, and so leaving uh, church home was, was difficult. And then, of course, most recently um, with the cancer diagnosis of our daughter, Emma. So that's what's been going on. We really did find that as we walk through these um, opportunities, these trials that we had, that our faith grew as we saw God's hand at work in each situation. It just grew our confidence in him and um, just helped us to know that he was there with us. And there were um, times when it was very obvious that he was with us and he worked in miraculous ways. And there were other times that it was only in hindsight that we could see his hand. But uh, as we saw those things uh, and immersed ourselves in the word and prayer and in praise, um, we saw that he was using those things to grow us and to bring, him, bring us closer to each other and to himself. Can you tell us a bit more specifically about how you praise and worship God in your home and how you've, how you've led your daughters um, to know and love the Lord. Several weeks ago, your daughter Emma came up on the stage at our Sunday night prayer and praise service, and she prayed for the shoeboxes that were going out with Operation Christmas Child. And I was struck by the maturity of her prayer. And uh, if she prayed, you just had the sense that this is someone who really knows and loves the Lord, really knows how to pray. So how do you pray and praise and worship in your home, and how have you guided your children in this way? Well, clearly, we give the Lord all the praise and glory for what he's done in our daughters, and it's not anything that we could do. It was the work of the Holy Spirit that's brought them to faith, and we're very, very grateful for that. Um, just in general, for our family, one of our priorities for ourselves and for our children is biblical literacy, and um, we really believe in knowing the Word of God, not just knowledge for knowledge's sake, but knowledge that leads to worship. And we believe it's true um, what David was saying earlier in the message about how knowing that uh, Jesus is King and Savior and Lord just leads naturally to worship. And so that's been a, a goal for us. And we've had a few practical ways that we've done that that we'll share. Well, we wanted to be uh, intentional early on with worship and uh, just make it a normal part of our routine. Um, just playing uh, music in the car and just allowing the children to see that's a normal part of our day and not something that we just do on Sunday and nothing weird but just the normal course of, of life. And uh, some of the ways that we, we did that uh, with worship is just playing Christian music on the radio and we um, use the Seeds Family Worship Series to play in the van uh, on the way to all the places that we go. And the girls you know, were able to learn um, hundreds of scripture verses just singing along and uh, very effortlessly. Um, so that was, that was a good way to, to do that. Uh, and I would say two things about that. One, um, you know, we, we have sort of a shared language 
in our family because we have learned scripture together. And I think that brings us closer and enables us to, to share spiritual truths with our children in ways that we otherwise couldn't do. And um, the other thing I wanted to mention is mainly for moms of, of littles. If you have a lot of little people in your house and you're trying to sort of establish a family worship time, I would say just give yourself lots of grace with that because uh, many times I thought um, for our family that I needed to find just the right book or the right curriculum or the right Pinterest project um, about Noah's Ark or whatever we were studying so that it would really sink in and the kids would get it and they would learn it. But I think more than that, um, just keeping in mind that especially if your children are young, you're just trying to organize a worship service with a bunch of unregenerate heathens. And um, they're probably not going to get it, but you're just allowing your kids to see, like Lee was saying, that this is who we are. This is who the Hemphill family is. We worship together. And they see that as normal, and that's I think, gives them an identity and makes it harder for them to turn away from that as they get older. At least that's our prayer, that they would see that as part of who they are. Thank you so much. Would you take a moment and just pray for all of us? I know there are many here going through difficult times, and, and pray that we'd be able to draw our spiritual strength from the Lord as you have, and... Uh, would you just pray, pray for us all about that? Dear Father, I pray that you will draw those who are in the midst of crisis close to you, Father. I pray that you will allow them to have grace for themselves, Lord, when they are in a crisis and they are uh, in, in doubt, Father. That you will have them choose truth over despair, Father. Mm -hmm. That you will have them choose uh, truth over the lies of the enemy, Lord. And um, Father, I, I pray that you allow them to, to pray to you, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, Father. And I pray that you fill them with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.